Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Just gone 10 o'clock here on BFM. Well, 10.06, actually, six minutes. Six minutes is a lot of time. A lot of things can happen in six minutes, that's for sure. What's happened in the last six minutes for you? It's a good question, really. Do we know where we are? Sometimes I think time is uh, part of the issue here. Is, is there seems to be so little time, and yet also I think we've got more time than we think. Let's hope so, anyway, because we've got many things to tackle on this planet. We certainly move between different perceptions of time as we go from one paradigm to the next, and typically the individually oriented paradigms are always about short-term thinking because we want it now, yeah. right? Yeah. And the community-oriented paradigms always take a longer-term perspective. Yes. And we know, of course, that our traditional tribal uh, societies thought in terms of tens of thousands of years, really. If, and, and some of the stories that were told and amazingly um, you know, kept the same over extraordinary periods of time um, telling history, uh, you know, in some mm. cases of like astrological events, which we can prove scientifically yeah. occurred, you know, like mm. 30,000 years ago. Mm. And these same stories were, were told in oral traditions and, and the details preserved through incredible amounts of time, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah. And so as we move into this layer six relativistic community, communally oriented paradigm again, we are changing our perception of time and mm. we're starting to think in longer terms. And of course, one of the ways that's playing out is with concern about the planet, the environment, sustainability, and our impact on the planet and those sorts of things. And of course, as uh, many indigenous peoples, as you said, look seven generations or so ahead, including also the Chinese, who I guess are very much still firmly or partly in that, that sort of blue uh, area of, uh, of uh, paradigm themselves. And there is that leaning that I've mentioned before where mm. the Western part mm. of the planet is very much individual versus the more communal orientation of the mm. eastern part of the planet. Yeah, yeah that, and it's going to be really interesting to to see how that changes as we go through this paradigm shift, and if it changes, you know, uh, or whether it's kind of a built-in uh, leaning that exists there. Mm. So we're talking about uh, the crisis in confidence, and it's something that's been building for a long time, and <clears throat> it looks like we are moving into some serious milestones or trigger events next year in 2020 and uh, they as best as we can make out right now the themes look to be around economics early in the year and then politics later in the year with with two events indicated by numerous sources uh, one event seems to be uh, situated in January <clears throat> where we've got um, the economic confidence model of Martin Armstrong indicating some kind of a turning point around January 1819. Mm. And uh, Martin Armstrong, if you haven't heard us talk about him before, he's an economic forecaster based in the USA. Uh, interesting fellow, 
And uh, when we talk about our information sources, we don't mean to uh, claim them as flawless or um, underpin everything Definitely that they not. say. We, we just draw on a number of different models uh, that people have. Uh, and uh, often we try and find three completely different sources that are unrelated, which might be pointing towards the same thing to give us a kind of triangulation and a suggestion that, okay, perhaps there's something worthwhile looking at here. And and that's certainly the case for uh, January 2020, where Martin Armstrong's economic confidence model, which is basically a cycle that he's developed uh, as part of a, a fairly comprehensive computer program, and it, it correlates with shifts in uh, economic markets. And uh, what Martin realized over many, many years of uh, playing with his uh, computer program is that it also syncs with solar cycles, which is very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what's uh, indicated there is a turning point uh, around January 1819, where um, there, there'll be some kind of a shift in confidence in economic markets. Mm -hmm. And then he's saying that we're moving into an inflationary period after that. Excuse me, and and part uh, at least part of that inflationary impetus is to do with um, shortages of commodities. One of the uh, one of the things we also look at for those interested in astrology and the long cycles of astrology, we've been very much looking at these big cycles with the outer planets that are coming forward in the next well, the next um, twenty years or so, in fact. But certainly early January next year, January the twelfth, and through the dates that Steve's just mentioned, a week or so later is the point where Saturn and Pluto conjunct at 22 degrees Capricorn in a very tight conjunction with other planets with Sun, Mercury and so forth. And this is a very powerful uh, cycle. And of course, this happens every 30 or so years, or actually it's a bit longer than I think it's 37 years that Saturn conjoins Pluto. So it happens regularly, but uh, the last time it happened, uh, actually, uh, I think it was the early, uh, it would have been the early 90s then. So uh, that's not right, the early 80s, which is actually the coincides with um, with the Reagan and Thatcher eras and, and a sort of movement back to a more conservative approach in order to kind of stay off, I suppose, at that time, the, the, the movements of revolution that had occurred in the 60s and 70s, perhaps you could, you could argue that. But certainly an interesting point next year astrologically for those who are interested in that. Some of you think it's all bunk and maybe that's true, but it's certainly an interesting coincidence there of cycles that we're observing. That was Saturn Pluto you just spoke about. Saturn right? Pluto, yeah. And that was, uh, if, if correct me if I'm mm. wrong here, but isn't this also um, a similar alignment that was on, happened on 9 11? I think that's actually, I'll check that for you very shortly. Let's come back to that. Yeah, okay, cool. That. Yeah, that, that would be great. So um, the other big indicator uh, next year is uh, a suggestion of disruption around the US elections, which are scheduled for November and uh, very much tied into the crisis in confidence, confidence as well, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. because I think if you follow uh, current affairs at all, you're probably very much aware of the declining confidence in government and the appearance that we seem to be attracting people into politics and into uh, our, our governments in general who maybe aren't well suited to actually do the job for various reasons and and I think that's part of the way that the the our political systems our democratic systems have evolved over time and uh, you know I can, I think it's it's reasonable to say that uh, 
many people would decline or avoid a career in politics because they see it as you know probably not the best way to succeed in the modern world mm. well anybody smart would probably be not going to politics at this stage unless you had such a strong moral sense uh, in in a way that you really felt you could cut through the the bs that's going on there because it's, it doesn't seem to be the best way to actually get change which puts us all in a bit of a difficult bind i would suggest isn't it interesting i mean as i said uh, in the, the start of the show you know the election of uh, donald trump in 2016 i think was a key milestone in this uh, decline of confidence and, and actually a signal um because you know trump really hasn't come from the professional political no. class has he well he claims to be outside <clears throat> of that class but that's that's a moot point. Well, not a moot point. It's arguable. Yeah. But, but he's, he's certainly an outsider. You know, mm, he um, he doesn't fit with the mould. No. And and it was a break away from what we'd been used to. And and I think that was a big signal from the the US mm. public that some change was needed. You know, we weren't just going to have the same old same old again. We needed to do something different outside the box. And, uh, and certainly Trump has proven to be outside the box. I don't think anybody's going to argue about that. And now we've got Boris Johnson in the UK, arguably cut from the same kind of cloth. We'll see where that goes. Very, very true. Very, very true. Did you just check that? I uh, did. In fact, Saturn and Pluto were in opposition at, on 9-11 or around 9-11. So that's a more contentious, even more dangerous um, astrological uh, combustion point right. than, uh, than now. And this time in there... Saturn, Pluto and conjunct, which conjunct. I would say is, is somehow a, a completion of and a new beginning too, because in my particular astrological theory, bear with me for a minute, folks, is that the era that we are now in Saturn, Pluto and Jupiter also moving through Capricorn, various, it's like a dance moving through Capricorn into Aquarius later, at the end of next year, actually, is when uh, Saturn and Pluto first, uh, Saturn and Jupiter first go into into Aquarius. This whole dance, uh, one could argue, astrologically, is a very big movement, a tectonic movement, in uh, in world consciousness and world events. A tectonic, big changes potential here. Interesting. So, in the case of 9/11, I mean, that was literally. Uh, explosive change to structures, right? Yeah, uh, quite, yeah that's right. quite literally. Yeah. And, and so, how good interpretation like that? How does the shift from opposition to conjunction mm. tweak that mm. influence, in your opinion? Well, the potential in Capricorn is for um, a, a new structure to be built. But first of all, that as we're seeing the revelations, as we're talking about today, the revelations of, of, of what's actually going on behind the scene. Who are the power forces? How have they been operating? Where's the criminal activity? Yes, there's tons of it. Where's the stuff that's just, uh, you know, uh, just not uh, owned, not, uh, not, um, not shown to us? Where's the cards that have been hidden? Yeah. All these things have been revealed. As Saturn moves across there, it's, it's almost like now's the time to build a new structure out of the, the collapse of the old. And yes, some of what is old must still be adopted and brought in, as we often say, transcend and include. We need to transcend the old system, but we also need to find how to include what is still useful there because there is plenty that is useful. It's built what we are now, our yeah. society as we are. Yeah. So I think there's a great opportunity for change in this in, uh, through, uh, through Capricorn, and it's going to be uh, not what you think, as we've seen already. It's not what you no, no matter what you think about this, I think that's probably not the best way to make a, a, a judgment about it, which is curious because we also have to be discerning at this time to know what action do we actually take to make a real difference yeah Tricky. do you know what the zone of influence is around that particular conjunction like how how early 
should oh, we start okay. seeing you know clear influence? Well, we're seeing it now. I mean, well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, astrologically, folks, Saturn is still in the middle of Sagittarius. It's going to start moving very fast, going to Capricorn. It'll catch up with. Uh, with Saturn, it'll catch up with Pluto, and this dance will occur. So we're kind of not quite in that yet. Uh, Pluto's sta- stationary at about 21 degrees Capricorn, so it's not really going anywhere. It's sort of hanging there waiting for this activation, mm. I would say. But it's not a comfortable activation, Saturn moving across there, and then Jupiter will help to expand the potential for a more positive change that can come through that. That's what it will reflect. And by the way, folks, when I'm talking about astrology, I'm not talking about causative effects here. I'm not saying because Saturn goes there that something's going to happen. They're more like reflections of what is already in train, the energies that are in us, the energies that are in the world in operation at the moment. And there are certainly plenty of indicators pointing towards what Martin Armstrong is predicting as an economic hard landing in January yes. with things like uh, Deutsche Bank in, in crisis and uh, its connections to many, many other banks around the world. Which you know, so, so if and when it goes down, then it, that could have a massive ripple effect mm. out across many financial institutions globally. And of course, we're seeing uh, a lot of the movements with the play of interest rates in this country now. The Australian dollars dropped, the interest rates... Uh, uh, where they are, and we're not seeing uh, an economy that is living boldly and and uh, with confidence here in this country, despite what our current government and just re-elected government might be saying about that. Truth is, we're not in a very comfortable position at all. China, of course, under the uh, under the the battle with America over tariffs, is influenced. We've been influenced by that as well. So all of these sort of big players uh, moving big chess pieces around the world at the moment, and we are relatively speaking a very small country in regard to this. And we we are in the force of the of the gales of these changes that are occurring on the planet. We are indeed. And and if this does turn out to be another global financial crisis, and and we don't know that, of course, but it's one of the possibilities then uh, it looks like Australia is less well prepared than we were for the last crisis. Yes, well, the last time, of course, uh, Labor was in power and they made a very good choice to uh, to manage that response to the GFC apparently very well. Uh, and I, I don't know whether the coalition actually has the capacity to do that because I think they're quite blind to the real forces that are going on, it would seem. It's hard to generalise about that, but when you look at, uh, look at what, uh, what the coalition presents to us as the governing, uh, the, the governing party in this country, doesn't seem to be a lot of solutions on the table. In fact, they're not doing very much at all. And you have to wonder whether there's some sort of deeper uh, understanding of, of the forces that are at play. Because we have the US election, as you've already mentioned, next year. It's not far off. It's gonna, they're going to start battling it very soon now. The, the choice will come for the Democrat contender. Um, that's uh, that's a big play there, and I doubt whether Trump is going to lose the next election, or if he does, whether he'll actually leave the White House. <laughs> Even so, we could have a huge crisis there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, a crisis in the system itself. You know, people just don't trust what the what the uh, the outcome of the election will be. Yes, I don't exactly. think. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. 10.29 here on BFM on Future Sense with uh, Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. And uh, we have been talking about the crisis in confidence, which just has so many flavours to it. Thanks for some of your texts. Uh, one text going back a little bit uh, says, uh, Dear Steve, nothing is absolute. I love that. Thank yeah. you so much for that text. Thanks a lot, Deborah. such an absolute uh, statement, isn't it? Nothing <laughs> is absolute. Full stop. Full stop. Of course, everything's paradoxical. That's the trick. 
just before we go on, I just want to say uh, what I'm thinking of it. Uh, our dear friend, Stephen Booth, uh, who was on the show last week and will be back again. It's his birthday today, if you're it listening, Stephen. Happy birthday, Steve. Yeah, be happy birthday to you. And also just want a, a, a loving shout-out, a loving feeling to our dear friend Wayne Armitage also. Just yes, yeah, dear brother Wayne, who's well dear known Wayne. to uh, everyone, I'm sure, in Byron Bay, who's been here for a while, and particularly the Indigenous community. Yeah. And uh, lots of love to his family as, uh, as Wayne's uh, very, very gracefully navigating uh, a serious illness right at the moment. Absolutely. Very good indeed. And I guess, you know, in a way, in a strange segue, it is about navigating the illness and the sickness of this, of this globe, of this world, of, this, of our communities that we live in across the planet. And I think there's so many of us who are tuned to this show, who are tuned to this station, who live in this region, whose prime concern is uh, is that, is the global situation. Many For many people, it's the climate uh, situation. For others, it's social justice. Uh, it's the, the lack of transparency in, in politics we've been talking about, and so on and so on. The decline in confidence in all of our institutions across the board. Yeah. Absolutely, and so often at the moment it, that is being divide, uh, uh, defined as a sickness, and and what it essentially is, of course, is a values clash. Mm. Is the things that were held as valuable by the old paradigm are no longer held valuable, and, and in fact, um, you know, mm. are the polar opposite in many cases yes. to what the new paradigm is uh, is seeking or Indeed. prefers. And and I think you just nailed quite a bunch of them there. And uh, some of the other differences are, you know, competition versus cooperation pyramid schemes versus sharing networks, mm. hoarding of resources rather than the balanced distribution of resources across society, mm. and from an ethical standpoint, doing whatever it takes to be successful versus sustainable ethics, which we know will mm. allow us to uh, to be ethical and moral and, and abundant over the long term. And key concepts like uh, compassion and, and kindness. I think the word kindness is very interesting. It's, it's come certainly into my reality in the last few years, but I think generally speaking, it's a word that uh, while it doesn't have a lot of weight to it in terms of a word to be kind, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. But actually, it's kind of an essential rising feeling, I think, in many people that how do we actually be kind to each other in the face of this? Because we're biting at each other now quite often in the same side of politics against each other in, in this way that probably isn't very helpful. It is, and I think that's a, an example of the backslide to yes. the old black and white, uh, rigid mm. kind of stance of the agricultural era. You know, it's either my way or the highway, right or wrong. Uh, and that's part of us navigating the change is, you know, it's a necessary backslide because it creates the tension that's going to drive further change. Uh, and uh, the more conscious we are of that backslide happening, then the, the more graceful we can be about not getting, not falling into that trap of, you know, being overrun by the, uh, the rigid thinking. Yes, indeed. So there is indeed a global crisis in confidence and it's happening right across the board. We have been uh, kind of locked into politics for, for much of this uh, show and this podcast episode. And just before we break away from that, I want to point out three stories that were in the local news here last week, which I just could not help but see a connection between. And again, this was, uh, thank you, uh, ABC News for, for publishing these. This was on their website. And the first story was that we shouldn't forget to be afraid of Al-Qaeda because they are very, very scary. Oh, yes. That was the first story. Yes. <clears throat> I think the headline was something like, Al-Qaeda was forgotten, but the terror group is more dangerous than ever. Uh, and in case you didn't notice, folks, when you were shopping or going about your business, don't forget, very, very scary, be afraid. Mm. So that was the first story. The second story was, oh, and by the way, the government wants to extend the terrorism laws 
and and the story that was posted about that was uh, from an expert who was explaining just how lazy the government's effort to do that was. It was very very uh, slipshod, and it was just like a, an okay, you know, it was like an incidental thing. There's oh yeah, by the way, these are up for renewal. We put a, a sunset clause on them, but we'll just you know roll them over again. And uh, let, let's all remember that more people have died from falling out of bed during the time that those laws have been in place than from terror. Here well, in certainly we know that more people have died from uh, right-wing extremist shooters in America in the last couple of years, and certainly even since 9/11, absolutely, than have died from uh, Islam. Islamic terrorism, full stop. Yeah, so maybe you can see the connection between those two stories there. Uh, if not, then uh, send us a text and we'll help you out. And then the third story, which happened the same day, this was in the headlines as well, was, and oh, by the way, Australia's selling a lot of weapons in the Middle East. Oh, yeah, we're yes. shif- shifting, we're, we're sending off all these weapons to the United Arab Emirates, and it kind of looks like some of them are heading to Yemen yes. also. Uh, and the company that's doing that, of course, came out uh, in reply and said, oh, no, no, we're sure they're not going there. Okay, well, hmm, follow the money, folks. <sighs> and then in today's uh, news, as you mentioned earlier, Nick, was uh, Australia considering yes. uh, a request to uh, provide military support to the whole anti-Iran thing Indeed. in the Middle East. And uh, here we go again. Yeah. You know, Didn't we learn last time? A relative uh, text, a relevant text, I think, uh, just coming from, from David. Thanks to David, whoever you are, which David you are. The 21st century value change I see coming is the realisation that proactive caring is not optional. Only then will the 2032 end of wars become reality. Marriage wars included, I pray. Love to you, brothers. Hmm. That's, mm. a, that's, a, yeah, that's a nice, neat text and some good points there. Absolutely. I, I'm curious to know where you got the 2032 date for the end of wars. Because we talk about it. Well, could, we talk 2032. Well, we certainly see that as a, as a tipping point for yes. sure, and it may well be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, let's break away from politics for a moment and let's talk about science. And so the crisis of confidence extends to every aspect of society, including science. And you may also have noticed, if you follow the news, that there's an awful lot of public debate going on about science at the moment, particularly climate science. And uh, it, it's kind of slid backwards with this values regression that's going on right across society from being a scientific debate, which in, in which case it would have been firmly sort of planted in the scientific industrial way of talking about things, to a kind of absolutistic black and white uh, series of ultimatums that are being thrown from, from one side of the debate at the other side. Mm. And uh, it's, it's also a very linear kind of an argument and that is linear thinking that old uh, less complex agricultural kind of agricultural era kind of thinking where everything was done according to a set of rules which often came from God and so there really was no argument to be had you either accepted it as right or or you were cast out as a sinner and you know what that's like Nick James what (laughs) me sinner no I don't know yes yeah, anyway, I, don't, I don't believe in punishment particularly. So. Back to the uh, back to the crisis in confidence in, in science, and so uh, science has also been subject to this backslide, and it's also it's it's hurting, it's wincing from the late stage effects of capitalism and the corporate capture of everything, and and so the things that the corporations want to prove, uh, you know, they want to be seen as credible, then they throw lots and lots of money at the research in those particular fields, which of course skews the research towards 
towards the outcomes that the corporates want to have in order to be able to sell their products. And we've seen probably no better example of that than the pharmaceutical industry over yes, the years. Yes. And, and a lot of those uh, a lot of those stories are coming out now. Uh, I'm thinking of the big uh, OxyContin case mm. in the US around the, um, the family. It's there. very interesting as you're speaking because I, I can't remember the exact st- statistic I heard just the other day on another great station, uh, Radio National, uh, that uh, something like 70, I think it was 70% plus of all scientific research is uh, is um, under the auspices of some company or other, of yeah. some sort of funding somewhere that um, that is likely to or potentially can influence the results of that, fu- yeah, of that fu- I, those I'd, findings. Uh, I'd argue it's actually more than that. May because, well be. uh, you know, where it's not directly funded by a company, it's probably funded by an educational institution that's funded by a company, you know, and so it's twice removed. It certainly has an agenda, mm. that's for sure. Jobs are on the line. A- absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Funding's on the line, all these things. And not, not to say that some science is not good, of course, but there is this contention we must actually have a, a good eye on this as with everything else that we do on this planet now that science cannot be taken as gospel anymore absolutely either yeah and uh, and let's let's just look briefly at climate science and there's some pretty wacky stuff continuing to go on here you may remember us talking about the very severe winter that uh, happened in the northern uh, American continent this season just gone and uh, the polar vortex went on a big excursion down into North America which it doesn't always do and as a consequence it was a it was a much colder winter there were very very heavy snowfalls uh, in uh, lots of places and massive disruption to the agricultural industry there so uh, there were crop losses from the cold weather directly there were crops that couldn't be planted at the normal time of planting because the ground was still frozen or it was flooded from the snow melt. And in some cases, no summer crops had been planted at all by a certain percentage of, of farmers in North America. And uh, from what I've been reading, it sounds like the uh, the corn crops have been possibly uh, most heavily impacted there. Um, and uh, I imagine that will mean digging into the resor- corn reserves uh, to keep supplies up. And it doesn't take too many severe winters like that for things to start to compound. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have, I, I'm sure it's impacted food prices in the U.S. this year. And I've read about um, food shortages in uh, stores in the U.S. where there's just the, for certain particular foods, the shelves have been empty for a while mm. with notes saying, sorry, we don't have any supply of this mm. at this particular time. And so you'd think that the last thing that scientists would be thinking about right now in the US would be trying to do wacky things to uh, block out the sun. But lo and behold... Lo and behold, they're doing that. Once once was a conspiracy theory is now the subject of congressional debate and peer-reviewed studies and now a, a Harvard experiment regarding the... Um, well, go on, Steve. Oh, it's, a, it's essentially yeah. uh, a geoengineering project. Yes. And for those of you who might not know what geoengineering means, it means meddling with uh, the Earth's natural processes, in particular in relation to climate uh, most recently. And this uh, is funded, uh, funded by Bill Gates in particular. Yeah, in, in order to affect change. And, of course, uh, the whole chemtrails thing is, mm. is sort of comes under that banner mm-hmm. of geoengineering. And... Um, and, and also is, is often uh, stamped as a conspiracy theory, but this well, particular story is certainly not a conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, they, they should go to, to lengths to say that. We are not a satire site. We are not a conspiracy theory site. The information you're about to read is factually accurate and 100% real, despite the ostensible skeptics who claim otherwise. 
And that and itself is an interesting move, isn't it? That, uh, yeah, you're reading from the uh, Zero Hedge website, is that right? Yes, and I and am. I've gone actually to to their source, which is Nature. Uh, dot com, yeah. uh, which is talking about uh, how s- Harvard scientists will inject particles of calcium carbonate into the atmosphere and study the effects on incoming sunlight. And they're talking about doing this uh, over the US continent. And I'm sure there'd be a lot of farmers that wouldn't be real happy about that, given their experience in trying to plant crops this year. Uh, and, uh, and so what they're attempting to do is to model the impact that a volcanic eruption has and uh, if, if you don't know what that means, it means that when there's a volcanic eruption, lots of small particles get thrown up into the atmosphere uh, and various gases. <clears throat> Excuse me. And some of these, uh, for example, sulfite particles can persist in the atmosphere for mm. up to three years. And so they have a tremendously large cooling effect. And we also know there are plenty of uh, good solid scientific papers uh, that are, are published out there now which uh, relate the increasing incidence of volcanic activity with solar minimum, which we're moving into right at this moment. And if you've been watching the news about volcanic uh, eruptions around the world over the last couple of months, you'll see that they are increasing at the moment. And there've been a couple of big eruptions which have put uh, a lot of particles into the upper atmosphere. And that will very likely, will certainly have some sort of cooling effect on the planet. And so um, what an interesting time to be talking about doing this. And Harvard uh, are actually not starting the project just yet, but they put uh, together an advisory board. And uh, this uh, advisory panel, they're calling it, is to examine the p- potential ethical, environmental and geopolitical impacts of this geoengineering project. And of course, many environmental groups in particular are uncomfortable with this idea and consider it a dangerous distraction from addressing the only permanent solution to climate change in their opinion, that's reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But as we uh, as we like to try and articulate, and we certainly don't know what's going on ourselves, we'd like to articulate a broader view is, is this is a much more complex system than we imagined. To, to just take that on board, that we are living in a very complex time and all science and all appreciated, no matter how good our science might might be, we are trying to estimate something inside a complex system in a way that may be impossible to actually predict. That's very true. And I, I think, you know, the the proof is in the pudding. And when we have a climate model that actually works in terms of predicting what's going to happen within the next few years, then I think we'll be in a position to know Uh, you know, what's wise and what's not in Mm. terms of these kinds of actions. But right now, and this is often forgotten in public debate, is we do not have on the planet a climate model that works. Mm. All of the predictions that have been made over the last couple of decades, and particularly since the release of of Al Gore's movie, have proven wrong, and some of them extremely wrong. Mm. Uh, And uh, the, the key issue there is that there are so many... Uh, data inputs required in order so to model the climate. Mm. We don't have a computer that's capable of doing that at the moment and only when we go towards or, or actually uh, have uh, quantum computers will we be mm. in the realm of, of possibly being able to do that if we could track the data. But the, you know, again, it's unlikely that we'll ever be able to attract, uh, to track all of that data that would need to be input into a climate model mm. that would make it accurate. I mean, simply put, for me, uh, clearly there's a, the global trend is that there is overall warming on the planet, but that's a linear uh, understanding. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to keep on going that way in the way that we, 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 we're predicting. Uh, we really need to take a much deeper 
look at the scientific, uh, the variables behind it and feed that in, as Steve's saying, to when our technology is capable of actually analysing all the data, yeah, maybe we will have a, a good sense of what's going to happen here. What we'd like to do now is play you a very short clip from Al Gore's original Inconvenient Truth movie. And at this point in the movie, Al is talking about a previous ice age, which was triggered by the re- the melting of ice mm. uh, in North America, which dumped cold water into the ocean and actually impacted uh, the wh- what they call the uh, Atlantic conveyor current, which moves hot and cold water around yeah. the planet. And it actually has a massive impact on climate. And so uh, at this point in the movie, Al has just explained how that actually triggered a, an ice age the last time that happened. And he's, uh, he's, I'll let him uh, speak. At the end of the last ice age, as the last glacier was receding from North America, the ice melted and a giant pool of fresh water formed in North America. And the Great Lakes are the remnants of that huge lake an ice dam on the eastern border formed and one day it broke and all that fresh water came rushing out ripping open the St. Lawrence there and it diluted the salty dense cold water made it fresher and lighter so it stopped sinking and that pump shut off and the heat transfer stopped and Europe went back into an ice age for another 900 to 1000 years and the change from conditions like we have here today to an ice age took place in perhaps as little as 10 years time. So that's a sudden jump. Now, of course, that's not going to happen again because the glaciers of North America are not there. And is there any other big chunk of ice anywhere near there? Oh, yeah. We'll come back to that one. And uh, you can't see the video that I'm watching here, but he was zooming in on Greenland. And if you've been watching the news in the last few days, you might have seen that there's been record ice melt going on in Greenland much, much uh, faster. 11 billion tonnes of water in one day amid historic heat. So, yes, it's hot. But the effect of that, as uh, Steve and Al Gore pointed out back there, is, well, we don't know. It may well be something that we, uh, we're not predicting, that we're not ready for. And this just points to the non-linear nature of climate. And so the idea of, of locking on to uh, this concept of, OK, we're on a, a linear warming trend and it's going to go on for the next 100 years and then look what's going to happen, is, is just not scientific at all. It's just not scientific thinking. And it's, it's particularly not scientific because it locks out uh, having an open mind to other data that's coming in. And, and, you know, there is Al Gore back in his original movie talking about the non-linear nature of climate and how a sudden ice melt can trigger uh, another or descent back into an ice age. And uh, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely critical at this time as confidence in science is decaying that we sit up and take notice and don't get caught up in, in the, the popularist kind of... Uh, uh, movements and discussions that are going on, which are actually dumbing down the the, uh, the climate science, and we really, really need to be paying attention to what's actually happening, and uh, and being open to any possibility, so that we can protect ourselves uh, in the case of a sudden change, as as Al was talking about in the movie. There. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 
it's 10.51 here. And a couple of texts which are worth having a quick look at. Um, hi, I think all men should read books by Jean, Jean Sasson, which I'm not familiar, who I'm not familiar with, um, and other books by women who have incredibly managed to escape ISIL and ISIS. So then you see the meaning for women to be afraid, to be very afraid. Hmm. Love your show, says one person. Yes, well, sure, there's a reason for that to be afraid, I guess, but uh, I think we're doing better than that. We'll come back to that in a second. Another one um, on a different topic. When I think of the science of confidence, I always look at nature. Bumblebees, with their large bodies, have a physics-defying flight, yet the bumblebees don't know this and fly anyway. Nature doesn't let science get in the way of confidently going about their nature. Thanks to uh, Julia for that one. Very good. Good. And of course, uh, in the comments that we made about the, the newspaper stories in Australia about uh, or urging people to be afraid of Al Qaeda, we're not at all implying that Al Qaeda doesn't uh, you know it doesn't exist or they don't do terrible things and they haven't terrorised people. There's yeah. no doubt about that whatsoever. But if you study history, then you can clearly see that Western interference in the Middle East uh, gave rise to extremist Islam. I think there's a pretty clear historical link there, which goes right back to the early influence of uh, the British intelligence service in the Middle East uh, back during the time of the the late stages of the Ottoman Empire, where uh, they funded and uh, supported extremist Wahhabism in order to try and destabilize the Ottoman Empire and and of course that kind of interference has been ongoing and uh, it's certainly been a contributing factor to the extremist behavior of these organizations and you know quite arguably even the the uh, emergence of these extremist organizations. Absolutely. And uh, as we said earlier, of course, Australia playing with America now, looking at uh, sending more troops to another sort of mission in the Middle East can only exacerbate this uh, this situation in, in my opinion. Yeah. It is. And of course, it, these things are so complex and I wish we had more time yeah. to talk about them. But uh, the U- whole US-China thing that's going on at the moment is is very much implicated in what's going on in the Middle East because of China's plans to uh, rejuvenate the Silk Road trade route, which will actually end uh, in Iran. And uh, China has been moving to establish greater influence in the Middle East. And of course, the US wants to counter that. But this is not something that's been reported by the, the mainstream media. No. Um, we're nearly finished. We we want to draw attention. Uh, we mentioned it before to a film that we're helping to promote and bring here uh, to the Byron Theatre on August the 18th. That's two weeks from yesterday, August the 18th in the afternoon, 2:30. It's called From Shock to Awe: A Journey of Hope and Transformation. We talk here quite a lot about the new psychedelic revolution, which is sweeping the planet. The research, the serious work that has been done to use these kind of substances for 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 much better uh, health outcomes for people with, say, PTSD, with depression, uh, with anxiety, uh, and with other uh, end-of-life issues as well. Um, And this documentary tells the story of three soldiers from, I think, Iraq and Afghanistan in the US who uh, had an incredible amount of success using psychedelic medicine under proper research auspices to uh, to heal their um, their traumas and uh, it's a it's a really great film we'll be showing it at 2 30 p.m on as i said sunday the 18th of august tickets from the byron theater downstairs and there'll also be a panel discussion afterwards which features steve over here steve mcdonald and mitch schultz who'll be here next week and i imagine will probably be on the show next week one of our good friends arriving from texas uh, this week and he's one of the he's the transmedia producer for the film and also we have um, a, um, a female uh, marine uh, officer to uh, navy naval officer or naval um, 
veteran. Veteran. Thank you so much. So uh, tune in. if that interests you, this area, please uh, join us. Get get yourself a ticket and come down, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic afternoon there. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie indeed. I think that's about it. Mm, uh, someone just said, humans are not science, we are nature. Yeah, well... I like that. Sounds natural to me. And uh, yeah, that's that's the end of our spiel on uh, the confidence crisis. And it's it's something that is uh, going to peak a, a long way in the future. Uh, but it's coming and it's uh, it's time to sit up and take notice and also take action to try take action. smooth our uh, our flow through this particular period, which is uh, it's going to be somewhat chaotic. Absolutely. And uh, an appropriate song because from little things big things grow and so you can make changes by doing just the very small things daily you've been listening to future sense a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on bay fm in byron bay australia at bayfm.org future sense is available on itunes and soundcloud the future is here now it's just not evenly distributed